Hey everyone, this is Chris Dixon from the Chris and Sandy Show. Today I don't have my sidekick with me, um, but she is listening. Um, just me, because we're kind of starting a whole new um, segment of our show, which is going to be called State of the Music Business. Kind of like the State of the Union, but all about the music side of the business where we bring executives on each week. And today I'm excited. Um, the person that we have on is Joe Kelly from CDX Nashville, um, 30-year veteran in the music industry, and we're definitely excited to have him on. Joe, are you here? Hi. Hi. Hey. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> I'm glad that you could make it. Me too. And um, Anytime I get to talk about the business that I love, it's a good day. <laughs> now, are you on speakerphone because it's getting a little feedback? Yeah, I'm on speakerphone. You want me to take it off? Yeah, because it does, it does blog how, talk. How about now? Does much better. Appreciate that. Okay. No problem. So, um, before we really delve into the heaviness of music, <laughs> which is fun anyway, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, hobbies you like to do and stuff like that. Outside well, sure. Um, you know, I uh, I love to hunt. I love to fish, um, and um, and music. That's always, you know, <laughs> been what I love the most. And uh, I played uh, football in college and, and the coach asked me what yeah. I was going to major in. And I said, I had no idea. And he said, what are your loves other than football? And I said, music. And he said, well, we've got a radio television department here. That's got a student run radio station and television station. And I said, well, that's what I'm going to major in. And that's how I majored in radio TV and, and ultimately learned through, you know, operating and helping to operate a, FM radio station in college that it was mm -hmm. the record reps that drove Cadillacs and the radio guys drove <laughs> Dotsons. <laughs> so that kind of, uh, that's pretty cool that you, you just kind of got swayed into the music without realizing it. Uh, I love, I love that. <clears throat> yeah. So how long have you been in Nashville? So, what really influenced me is my parents had a band before I was born and even after for many, many years. And so I grew up in a musical family and mm -hmm. Nashville was like um, our Mecca. That's where we came to vacation. And, you know, it was <laughs> country music was always a big part of my life growing up. And so it was always mm -hmm. my first love. And, um, oh, wow. yeah. So how long have you been in Nashville yourself? I moved here in 89, so 30 years. So how different is Nashville now compared to then? Uh, it's much different, much different. Um, <laughs> first of all, the city has grown leaps and bounds, so it's not a little little place anymore uh, like it was when I first moved here. It was, a, it was a rather large little town when I moved here, and, um, <clears throat> and, and it went – Music industry-wise, it's went from camaraderie to cutthroat in 30 years. Um, there was yeah. an age of camaraderie when I moved here, and mm -hmm. everybody kind of subscribed to the rising tide lifts all boats theory, yeah. and everybody tried to help everybody else and all that stuff. And and uh, and by and large, I've watched that disappear. But um, wow. that's the influx, I think, of the left and right coast on a southern city. <laughs> yeah. So so um so what do you think when do you think it really started to change? 
Nashville. Uh, like say that one more time. That's, so, so when did you think Nashville really started to change into the more cutthroat? Was there an era that happened? That well, sure. I mean, in the early days uh, of my tenure in Nashville, there was uh, really no accountability for sales. Um, mm -hmm. And with the invention of SoundScan, which basically took the barcode off of a CD, and when you scanned it at the register, it reported it to a central computer. And so then mm -hmm. for the first time, we knew how much product country music was selling. And then the accounting departments at the major labels, and by the way, at the time, there were 32 major labels operating on Music Row, um, mm -hmm. and now there's three. But wow. um you know, when when the big numbers came in, that's when people started paying attention. It became a big business rather than a cottage industry. Nashville was always a cottage industry, and it was a niche mm -hmm. format. Country was a niche format. In the 90s, and, you know, the, the class of 89 and mm -hmm. uh, Clint Black and the Hat Axe and, and, you know, mm -hmm. all that was started really with Randy Travis, and and then – we had something happen called Garth and you know, <laughs> that changed <laughs> everything. There. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so the money just, the, the dollars just got too big. And so you had an influx of, of accountants and, you know, um, and, you know, big money brings those type of influences. So mm -hmm. that's when it started changing. And in the 90s, in the early 90s, in the mid-90s, country music was the hottest format in America. It was today's hip-hop. Um, <laughs> now hip-hop is the hottest format in America. But in the 90s, country was. And so we were developing hit acts. And I tell people, you know, we were having number one parties every night of the week. Some label was having a number <laughs> one party with ice sculptures oh, and wow. shrimp as big as your hand. <laughs> you know, everybody had. <laughs> wow you know, uh, great success at that time. Yeah. And, uh, and so it's, it's different today. I think today is the great day and age of the entrepreneurial music business. Now mm -hmm. is the DIY model. And you're seeing that in yeah, hip hop yeah. and that will continue. We will follow mm -hmm. hip hop's lead. When you see in hip hop music that the the biggest artists like Chance the Rapper and people like that are mm -hmm. totally true independents, Lil Nas X was a totally true independent. Yeah. <laughs> um, and once something blows up to a certain level, then you will see the major label get involved with it. Um, yeah. But I'm hearing right now that you know the the old traditional way of a of a major record company signing an act and and then developing that and putting out a record and all that that's taking mm -hmm. four years right now. If you get a record deal wow. at Sony or Warner or Universal today, you mm -hmm. won't have a record out until four years from now. That's the wow. backlog <laughs> of people they have signed. So the idea here is to move to the front of that line to get to cut mm -hmm. that line. And you and the way you cut that line is you develop that by your on your own. You develop that yeah. audience on your own through secondary radio, tertiary radio, social media, mm -hmm. 
you know, geo-targeting Google and Facebook and things like that till you build that audience. And touring, touring is a big part of it. Uh, mm-hmm. Nobody can be successful today uh, without the touring aspect of it. Uh, I think the voice think proves that. Truth. You know, the voice has never developed a star. And because basically what they're doing is taking karaoke singers that don't tour, that have never worked the clubs, that have never went out there and, and done the grind, and, you know, that doesn't stick. Yeah. Because very few artists can make it at the at the top levels, whether they win or not. Right, but, you know, I think make it is a relative term. Because mm-hmm. in today's day and age, would you consider yourself having made it if you developed a fan base that allowed you to tour 10 dates a month, gross a million dollars a year, net $200,000 a year? You're making two hundred grand a year. You have a you have a fan base, and you tour and you sell your merch, and you're not a superstar, but you're doing but you're pretty living. good. Yeah, you're, you're making a full time living. living. Yes, and that is so doable in today's day and age, with all the tools that we have at our disposal, and the mm. fact that. Uh, the internet has leveled the playing field. We can go direct to consumer now. See, before <laughs> the major record companies controlled the access to the consumer. Yeah. And they still do to a degree in the top 100 DMAs, the top 100 cities in America, mm-hmm. um, New York, LA, Chicago, Dallas, on down. In those big, big towns, they control FM radio. Well, that that's okay. Go ahead. So that was one of my questions. That was one of my qu- questions about what's it take for an artist to be on on the radio because it seems like there's so much control with the big labels that that, that nothing's being allowed through regular FM radio. And that is 100% true if you're listening to the major market stations. Mm-hmm. It's 100% true. They do control that. And because what they control is they control the access to Cumulus and iHeartMedia. Mm-hmm. iHeartMedia and Cumulus own the majority of the FM stations in the major markets. Well, because yeah. the major record companies are back every single week doing business with those companies, they keep the price of admission very, very high. And <laughs> independent record companies don't get access or don't get a seat at that table very often. Now, you can get a seat at that table, and companies mm-hmm. like Black River prove it. You know, Black River came in, and, and uh, they created a real company, totally independent mm-hmm. company, and and they spent 10 years developing a track record, and – thank you. And uh, and and now they, they have a seat at the table. Oh, Wow. Because that's one thing I've noticed with the whole industry that until you've proven it, you could have a big fan, and I mean really big fan base. Labels don't even want to have nothing to do with you now. Well, that's right, and that speaks, you know, right back to what I was saying about cutting the line. Mm-hmm. So, so you cut you the have line to develop by it on your developing own. your fan. 
but then then you the, you the, have... the question becomes um uh, yesterday we saw, I was on with um Holly Tucker and and we were talking about this issue about the radios and labels and she goes if you build it right says why she she was like why do i need a label exactly right <laughs> she's 100% right because that's what because that's what as we're looking into the future it's like you know are are we going to see a future 10 years down the road where labels don't exist is that possible I think the major record companies will always exist because there always has to be a vehicle for mm. the the top the top echelon, and mm-hmm. um, and so when things blow up huge, there has to be a vehicle that can deliver FM radio in the top 100 markets in America. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's true. They're always going to be here, but. Um, there is a whole new business in the interim before you get to that mm-hmm. level that allows you to really make money and really achieve your goal of being a, a national recording artist and touring and all those things as an artist. Mm-hmm. And at some point, if you do things correctly, you have a decision to make. You can sit there and go, now, wait a minute. Here we are now 10 years down the road, and we've developed – this fan base and we tour and we gross a million a year and we net 200,000 a year and, and life is good. And we've got our fan base and, and we have a bus and, and all this. And now we've got an offer from a major record company to come in and they want to own 10% of my touring, 10% of my merch, 10% of my publishing. Um, you know, it's a 50, 50 split on digital. You know, I'm, I'm now I'm dividing up the pie. Yeah. Well, I got to decide at that point, do I really want to divide up this pie? <laughs> Cuz they would have some say so then too in what you do. Yeah, the creative control. That's right. Now they're going to start dictating. Because <laughs> yeah, a lot of the independent artists that we that we've interviewed, they're like they like the control that they have. And it's like and that's their right. biggest fear. They're like I can't be signed if I don't have that control, but yet these companies are not going to sign me unless they have that control. So there's a, there's a problem there. Right. And I think that you negotiate more from a position of power, the bigger you make yourself before you start talking to these companies. True. In other words, Tyler Childers just got his joint venture major record company deal, right? And he had developed that fan base, and he had developed you know, his position of power to where I don't think that record company was going to come in and say, hey, look, we want you to start dressing as a metrosexual, and we want to put you in a beret, and mm-hmm. we want you to start doing pop songs with loops. You know, I, I don't think that – that record company was going to try and change him at that point because he's yeah. negotiating from a position of power and, and he's going to say, look, I'm only doing the songs I want to do. And their, their position at that point has got to be, no, it's working. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Cause if you prove it's working, why would they change it? Exactly. Cause then if they change it, cause again, 
you know, if you are who you are, and I think that's where the power of the independents are right now, is if you are who you are, then you don't have to change. But where if you are not who you are, then the day when it comes out who you are, you're going to lose all your fan base because then they're right with the fake person instead of the real person. And I, that's exactly and, right. I, I've seen artists, seen so many artists who get signed, and you're like, "Well, who are they?" You know, <laughs> you know. And why? Did, and why did they get signed? Because they were willing. To, they were willing to, I guess, do whatever the label said. Mm-hmm. All about that control. Right. And that's and you know, <clears throat> there's a lot of stuff within the industry like this. How do we change that though? I mean, do you see it changing because of the independent? Is that how we change it? Is through the artists that are just doing it on their own? Yeah, I, I think three words change it. Embrace your independence. I like that. Embrace your independence. Here's the thing. We've always allowed there to be a negative connotation about independent. Mm-hmm. And the brass ring was always to be with one of these companies. And to mm-hmm. a degree, it's still always going to be. But it's far yeah. less important now because we can do it on our own. And so embrace your independence. Let's put a positive spin on indie. This is mm-hmm. where all the innovation is going to come from. This is where the chance takers are going to come from, mm-hmm. is the independent world. So embrace it. Now, with so much technology and all that to help the independent artists, there's also the other side of it where your digital platforms where they make almost nothing. How do we t- – I mean, and I, I, you, you talk to um, fans, and they're like, well, I don't need to buy music no more. I can do it on Spotify or the other thing. How do you right. change that perception, or do we ever now? We're never. We're never going to. That that horse is never going to go back in the barn. Um, in the In the – 90s, in the roaring 90s, let's say, mm-hmm. we wholesaled a CD for ten twenty-five for $10.25. Mm-hmm. That's what we sold it to the retailers for. And then they would retail it for sixteen ninety-eight, and they might put it on a special and sell it for fourteen ninety-eight. But a CD was fourteen ninety-eight or fifteen ninety-eight or sixteen ninety-eight, something like that. Yeah. And so we we had in true cost we had out of the ten twenty-five that we got. From the retailer, mm-hmm. out of that ten dollars and twenty-five cents, we had a dollar in manufacturing, we had a dollar mm-hmm. in music publishing, and we had two dollars in the artist royalty. So we only had four dollars worth of cost in every CD that we sold. Oh wow, man! <laughs> and so we sold them for ten twenty-five. That meant we had six dollars and twenty-five cents of net pre-tax profit left over in every CD sale. Now, mm-hmm. the country core audience at that time was about 3 million people that would, you know, George Strait put out a new CD in the 90s and 3 million people bought it every single time because that was the core audience and every <laughs> core audience bought the new George Strait CD. Yeah. <clears throat> and so do that math. <laughs> That's $20 million. You know, so... We took a dollar's business and let it become a pennies business. So the revenue streams have all changed 
And now mm-hmm. the new revenue stream is touring and merch. And that's why you see yeah. the 360 deal or the wraparound deal. Mm-hmm. Because record companies were always like, no, you can have all your touring and merch and all that stuff. Yeah. We just take the, the the money from the CD over here, you know. Mm-hmm. And then once CDs went away and Napster happened and file sharing and and then mm-hmm. we we all as an industry stuck our head in the sand for a couple of years and said, you know, <laughs> well, this ain't happening. You know, uh, we're going to sue college kids for file sharing. That's how <laughs> we're going to fight this. And so the long and short of it is mm-hmm. the revenue streams have changed, and now yeah. all of the revenue stream is touring and merch, okay? So mm-hmm. the the recorded music that gets put up on Spotify and, and all that stuff is merely a business card that you hand to fans with the hopes that that will get them to come mm-hmm. do business with you. Mm-hmm. And come to a show and buy a T-shirt because that's where all <laughs> the money is. Is there enough money there to support mid-range artists? I'm not talking about big artists. We know there's there, but for the mid, you know, because because right. I've read an article, I guess about five years ago, and of course a lot's changed in five years. But I've read an article mm-hmm. that was talking about for the songwriters, the the um the ones who were full time in the '90s, eighty percent of them can no longer be full-time. Because They've the left team. the business. That's right. But that's because of the CD, okay, mm. because there were three singles on that George Strait CD, but there were seven other songs on there that got mechanical royalties on three million records. Ah. So if you just got an album cut on the record, you made you, great you made money. money. <laughs> yeah, and so that supported a whole industry of publishing companies and song pluggers and writers and staff writers and all that. That was all supported by that, by mechanicals. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, you know, there are no more CD sales, so there aren't mechanical royalties for an album cut. Mm-hmm. Doesn't support it. And so you can't even get a song cut nine times out of ten unless you're writing with the artist. So how does the how do song, the songwriters themselves make it now? Oh man, I wish I knew. I mean, it's just so because <laughs> there's so many I mean, great ones out there. They have to write with the artist. Yeah. In other words, you have to be in that artist camp. Mm-hmm. So not only anymore is it is it enough to be a great songwriter and to perfect that craft to write songs that'll move people. But now you have to also be a great politician and be able to network your way into the artist camps and to write with the artist and the producer in order to get cuts. I mean, that's just the bottom line. Man, <laughs> lots changed. Yes. Where do you, now, nobody has a crystal ball. We know this, especially in music. I mean, that's one of the most fierce mm-hmm. things I can – I mean, we're, we're trying to create a, this little crazy media brand, and I'm like, who knows what's going to happen. And tomorrow things could change. But outside of that, where do you think the music industry is going within five years? 
Well, I think the uh, the audio assistant, um, the Amazon Alexa, the um, you know these things are going to become more and more port- important to our business mm-hmm. um, in the next five years. I mean, that's some place that I see it going. And the bottom line is, music is always going to be fine, and this is always mm-hmm. going to be a great business because. We write and record and create the soundtrack to people's lives, mm-hmm. and that that's not going anywhere. Yeah, I think sync so I is going to become more music. important. Yes, um, I think really sync rights life. are going to be more important. Because mm-hmm. did you say because it's about life? Yeah, yeah, because country music is about life. That's that, you know. That's right. Outside of the whole bro country industry that took a storm, outside of that, everything is really about life, and that's what draws me into country music. Because I love to be moved. I love to be in tears. I love to laugh. I love to cry. And you ha- and many times this one song can do all the emotions. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> Because it brings back good <laughs> memories, brings back bad memories, brings back where you're like, okay, I don't get that, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So another change that I think we need to see, which I know you agree on, is the whole women in country. Where do you see that going in the next five years? Well, I, we do need to see a change there. Um I think that uh, what's his name, uh, the unconsultant Keith Hill, mm-hmm. he um, he got lambasted for his tomatoes in the salad comment a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. which was unfair because if yeah. you looked at the numbers, the no, he, he was right. Um, it, it actually proved out that what he said was right. Now he chose a really poor analogy, uh, mm-hmm. probably he could have said it better, but the bottom line is, um, we have started to see that resurgence a little bit. I see it in our own chart. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that there are more females that are being successful in the chart, Yeah, because I've you know, what do you think about? You think that the first start for that to change is what's starting to happen, like with CMT, where just made announcement about being fifty-fifty split on their videos. Uh-huh. Is that a good start? Well, here's what I'm going to say, and I'm going to get technical for a second, okay? The Telecommunications okay. Act of 1996 deregulated mm-hmm. the ownership of radio. When that happened. Before that, you could only own own 13 AMs, 13 FMs, and 13 TV stations. Mm-hmm. Well, then oh, when wow. you had big companies that were able to come in and buy and up to, you know, I think Clear Channel at one time had 1,200 radio stations. Wow. They, <clears throat> they are in the advertising business, not the music mm-hmm. business, okay? Yeah. And so – when they split up their, their stations in a market, let's say Nashville, let's take Nashville as an example. If you go down on 17th Avenue and you go by that iHeartMedia building, there's six call letters on the outside of that building. 
Now, that is by design. They wanted to own enough radio stations in enough different formats that there is not an advertiser in this market that they couldn't serve with commercials. So if you own a sports bar and you walk in that building and say, I want to advertise on the radio, they're going to take you right down to the to the sports station, okay? And then if if you own a flower shop, they're going to take you right down and and put you on the AC station, the soft AC station. Mm-hmm. But they own all the stations in all the formats, right? So they're dividing mm-hmm. up the listener base based on a target demographic. Do you know what the target demographic is in radio advertising for country music? What is it? It's a 34-year-old female. So if you want to get airplay on these major market stations, you have to create music and songs that are appealing to a 34-year-old female. Ah, So that makes sense. By and large, if that's our target demographic and the radio stations are saying, hey, that's who we're targeting, so then our record companies are going to say, well, that's who we're making records for because we want to get it on your radio station, so we're going to make records for a 34-year-old female. Females want to hear guys. Yeah. By and large, they want to hear guys, and that's that's proven – that you know, that's research that proves that. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's harder, and but the ones that you do see break through, you know, as I dug my key into the side of his pretty little souped-up four-wheel drive, it's yeah. female empowerment songs that break female artists. I've noticed because that, I've noticed, I've noticed like when you look at the two the male and female, that male songs that are hits usually um, put women on a pedestal. Where the women want correct actually lower the the ones that make it with the women lower it correct now here's my unofficial theory, okay mm-hmm. <laughs> when two guys meet each other for the first time, they're instantly friends until something happens that makes them enemies mm-hmm. when two women meet each other. They're instantly enemies until something happens that makes them friends. Huh. That's a bad. <laughs> interesting. But there's probably a lot of that's why it's that. that's why it's harder for females to get on the radio. Yeah, because um, I, I'm friends with um, Gabby Barrett's dad, and I remember him telling the story that he said that as Gabby was trying to make it before Idol happened. And even after Idol happened, it's when she's at her show, she says it would be so many people, women that would have their arms crossed, and they, they just yep. he said he said the women were the worst critics yes. for her. And and he he said of course he loved it when by the middle of her set, the some of the women you would see that were had arms crossed, they would finally open up and actually like Gabby, but for the most part. Um, they yep. they did not, and I think that's what Idol did uh, on the very last show, and it was the top three, and Gabby was in that. They, to me, screwed her because she was better than the other two, but when they mm-hmm. the way they edited everything, they made her look like a stuck-up little blonde girl. Right. And, and, the, and the person who won, they made her look like the most humble person you'll ever meet. 
And I told Sandy after that last episode before the voting happened, I was like, Gabby won't win, even though I think she should have. I said, I was like, after watching that, there's no way Gabby's going to win because people are going to think that she's get, got this ego because they only played clips that tied into an ego. With mm-hmm. the other girl, they only played clips that tied into humbleness. And, it's all in and, the and, editing. But her family, as much as they hated what happened, they said it was the biggest blessing because she got to sing for the president. He said if she'd have won, she couldn't have done that. Right. And so many things that she that um, that she can do now, if she would have won, she could not do. So he said, although they thought it was the worst thing of the way it portrayed her, that it came out to be the biggest blessing because she wasn't tied to that label. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And then she's a, she was able to, from what I understand, build the base outside of that. And since then, it's signed with Warner. And from what I heard, don't know how true this is, but this is what the family says, is that from what they have been told, she got the biggest deal that any rookie has ever gotten music. Wow. <clears throat> but it took her losing Idol to get there. <laughs> right. <laughs> like you said, she was independent for a while. And she built it, it even stronger because a lot of lot of the people who were her fans were upset with the way the show did. I mean, I've seen it all over Facebook and stuff and and so a lot of people were really upset, and I think that catapulted Gabby some. And then, it's, then she comes out with this, you know, I hope song. And I remember when I first heard it, because I, you know, as I'm listening, I'm like, okay, um, she's going the more positive route. And then she twists the song. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. that's smart. I, I knew immediately when, when she got to the, I hope that, that um, you get treated like me, basically, like you did me. I was like, oh, yeah. that's going to be a hit. I knew it, you know, again, because like you said, for the women. It's who female empowerment. Like that. <laughs> and it's, you know, so it's amazing to watch. I mean, Sandy and I, we've been in, run, I guess, a little bit of an industry for about six years, so not a whole lot. Um, in and out, and I've seen a lot of stuff, and we're not within the big arena, but we are within up and coming arena, which has been real interesting. Tell us a little bit about what it is you do for your company. Oh gosh, um, sure. We, uh, by the way, very, very happy and proud for everything that you and Sandy have done, and uh, it's been wonderful to watch. Well, I appreciate that. Um, CDX Nashville is a company that, by design, services music out to radio. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. That's that's the core business. That's what we started out doing you know, March of 1991. And so we've serviced over 15,000 singles out to country radio. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's, we do it for the majors too. So it's everybody, you know, every George Strait single, you know, all that stuff. Um, and so we, in addition to that, have started providing that service digitally so that we okay. can instantly e-blast the songs into the radio stations. Oh, wow. We have the most accurate database of radio stations that exists in the world. Um, mm-hmm. So we keep it constantly updated. So if somebody moves the leaves the radio station or they, you know, 
move studios or any of that stuff. We keep it constantly updated. Um, mm-hmm. And then we invented a tracking system or a monitoring system. <coughs> Excuse me. And it's called Traction, and it's patented. Mm-hmm. And what it does is listens to hundreds of radio stations simultaneously and recognizes every song played on every radio station. Wow. And so, yeah, our charts are based on our monitoring. So, you know, it's real easy when you're collecting this much airplay data of what's getting played where to rank it into a chart, who got the most and who got the least, you know, on down. (laughs) So we put out those chart newsletters every week. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, it's it's a really, really great barometer of success and failure or to measure your progress. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so we're basically in on behalf of artists, labels, and managers. Those are our customers. And mm-hmm. how we best serve our customers is we super serve the country radio stations. And we act as your liaison to radio. Hmm. We also do this in Texas country. We also do this in Americana. We also do it in Southern gospel and positive country. Um, We're growing formats all the time. So where do you see your company going in five years? Well, um, hopefully we'll be able to scale up and everything that we've you know, the architecture for our systems has all been built with scalability in mind so that we can scale up and and include every genre. I mean, I, I want there to never be a song played anywhere that we don't detect it and report that back to the huh. rights owners. Yeah, because they deserve those royalties. Because they deserve those royalties. And speaking on that, um, what do you think of this issue? Because I mean, a lot of people think it's not a big deal. I think it's a really big deal. So, so I'm like in the I'm not in the norm here, but I don't mm-hmm. know if you knew. But when when we started the Chris and Sandy show, I kind of wanted to be like the Ty Bentley show and the Bobby Bones show, where we play music and do a little bit of different stuff and interview artists. That's kind of that's the ultimate mm-hmm. goal. That's my ultimate vision for our show. But it's but I knew I couldn't afford right now to be members of like BMI, ASCAP, and all that, so I can um, pay royalties and do it the right way. Um, right. So I draw. So I won't do that until I can. I I'll interview artists. I'll play one of their songs for them in in that. But that's as far as I go. I won't become like an online radio station. My beef is <laughs> that you know when I say that people say, oh they're they're indies. Um, you don't have to pay them. And I get so Ugh. upset on, on that because it's like I feel like I'm fighting a battle here because even the artists, even a lot of the artists, I don't care, but they should care. <laughs> they should care, and, right? <laughs> and and I'm you know because again I'm fight. I feel like I'm fighting for these artists. That that was our whole thing when we started the whole new country media, new country buzz thing, is to fight for the independent artists. And if I go and start a whole radio station where, you know what, we can't afford to do this, but, we're, but we'll do it this way so that we don't have to join those organizations, then I would feel like a hypocrite. And it's amazing how even Allison Steele from Two Steel Girls, we were talking one time, and she said that's her biggest pet, that was her biggest pet peeve is all these online mm-hmm. radio stations 
not joining any of this stuff so that they don't have to pay royalties. Like again, I wouldn't mind. I could I could afford to pay the royalties. I just can't afford to join the organizations. <laughs> you know? Right. But, right. And but I also know that if I don't join, I need to just hold off on that until I can join because I wanna I wanna be respected within the whole music arena at all, not just oh I'll play their music. No, I don't want to do that. But it's frustrating. When I'm out there, and and some people comment on because I made a comment recently about all this, and I had somebody actually say, "Well, they're indie people. They, you know, you know, if, as long as you're playing original of their song, you don't have to worry about paying them." I'm like, "Isn't every song original to somebody?" Of course, of course it is. Yeah. And 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 I'm like, if I'm like if, if and I told this person, if a station will, if they're going to do it. Whatever they would be willing to do to the big people, they should also do for the struggling artists. So they're not going to get away with not paying royalties for the big people, so they shouldn't get away. And and that's a so it's frustrating a little bit that even artists are like, well, my stuff is being spun. It's like that's not the point. Well, you know, yeah, but people people die from exposure. But you know, again, we're trying to build this the right way. Trying to build it with class. Trying to, you know, I want I'm trying to keep the um, PR companies of Nashville happy too. At the same time, I'm trying to keep everybody as happy as much. And again, I know that we're not perfect, but we're trying to do it the right way. I don't want to get get down the road as our media and our media company is big, and then people say, "But you did it on the back of artists." I never. Yeah, to right. That's why I will never. But I think that's why there's an a place. There's a place for Live 365 and companies like mm-hmm. that that will help with licensing and royalties for you know internet radio stations. Yeah, kind of a one-stop shop kind of thing. Yeah, I, I've seen them, but my my biggest the the main reason I picked Blog Talk was for what we're doing right now. People can, yeah, I want it as easy for my guests to be in it. And you like you just call a number. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> and and that's yeah. why that if if you took away the phone number, I'd probably be on Spreaker or something, or maybe even the Live Three Hundred and Sixty. Right. You know, would make sense then because then I just pay that one thing and I can actually do a radio show there. But I like the right. idea of having a phone number where my artists or get any of my guests can just call in. Makes it so much simpler. If we want to, mm-hmm. my artists, if they have a co-writer, they want they can call in too. Again, I like this that I can have a handful of people on where we can talk one by one with them. You know, where right. other other things you can't do that with. So I really do like love blog talk. <laughs> it's yeah, been no, a game it works great I think, in the industry. Cause, cause it works great to me. You know, it really does because to me. A lot of because a lot of people say, well, you don't have to go live and all that. But if I'm if I'm trying to model after the Ty Bentley show and the Bobby Bones show, then yeah, I need to be live now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because if I don't, and I edit and I edit all these things, then down the road when I do go live, I'll probably screw it up. But here I can learn as each time I'm doing this. Learn what to say, what not to say, of course. <laughs> I've made some boo-boos, but not many. Yeah, right. Um, but I can learn here while I'm smaller so that when I'm bigger, it, it'll just grow from there because I like life. I would, I want the rawness of the interview. 
Right. <laughs> and you know what? You know, that's it was definitely great having you. I'm glad that you you were you allowed me to bring you on as the first guest of this crazy idea. Um, we're also thinking. I think it's going to be a smashing success. I sure hope so. Because we're my my wife actually came up with another crazy idea attached to what we're doing right now, and I like it. She, she said once we had enough interviews with the business side people, then eventually do a conference where we um, called the state of the music business, where we bring some of y'all back to just speak and have all the artists come. And so I thought that was a really neat idea that this could That's turn a into a conference. Idea. Yeah, <laughs> and my wife and, and see my wife. My wife is a hundred percent with me on all this. Even though I'm mostly doing the talking, e- even with artists, she does some talking, but I do most. But she's with. She comes up with ideas too, and I, you know, we're a team. We've been a team. That's and awesome. We, you know, we're either gonna like the free and easy song says, we're either gonna make a million or wind up broke. But either way, we're gonna do something together. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, man. <clears throat> But, you know, it was really great having you on, and I hope you'll come back in a few months so we can kind of get more. Yeah, thanks for having me. Oh, I appreciate it, and thanks for being the first because, again, some people wouldn't like that. Uh, Oh, I'm the first? (laughs) Oh, I ain't chancing that. (laughs) I'm glad that (laughs) you took a chance on me so that now I have one show that I can say, hey, you know, here's our first show. So at least give them an idea. Yeah. What we're trying to go. Here's an example. I want to – you definitely gave me – some things to talk about now in the next few weeks one where about the end about the power of the independent. I like that. Right. I'm, I'm going to run. Yep. I'm going to definitely run with that. And hopefully each week I'll get some tidbit out of each week because the rest of the week I'm interviewing artists. So it's things that are talked about on the Wednesday things I can talk about while I'm talking to the artists too. Yep. And, and if anything that we shared today, yeah. you know, helps, helps somebody. Then it was worth exactly. the time. Even if it's one person, if it helps, it was worth it. And because I did tell you 30 minutes and we're at 46, I will go on and let you okay. go. But I, <laughs> but, I, but I appreciate that, you're, that you gave me this shot. All right. Thank you. Take care. All right. Well, okay. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, everyone. This is a little quick thing. I hope you enjoyed the show today with Joe Kelly. Um, I also want to talk to you about a partnership that we had, uh, we have going on with, with the Sports, Sports Guys podcast. I'll let Sandy really tell you a little bit about that real quick, and then I'll be right back. Hey, everyone. We have partnered with another great podcast called the Sports Guys podcast. You can find them over at thesportsguyspodcast.com. The Sports Guys podcast is a sports and country music podcast hosted by Brandon, Nick, and Andy. They cover sports on a state, regional, and national level with many of the biggest names in the sports industry. The Sports Guys also host a Backstage Pass music segment where they go behind the scenes and talk with some of the biggest artists in country music, everything from Texas country, Americana, as well as Nashville artists. 
The Backstage Pass provides a more in-depth look at the musicians' rise in music as they talk about their career and tell stories about their music to share with their fans. Many of the same guests will be appearing on our show as well. Again, you can find them over at thesportsguyspodcast.com. It's a grand slam of sports and music. Please go over and check them out. And that's a wrap, my friends. I hope you enjoyed everything today. I hope that you listened to the end. I'm really, really grateful to Joe Kelly. And who knows who will have next Wednesday. I've got a couple ideas who I'll probably be bringing on. But you know what? We want this to be a win-win for everybody. We want it to help people who who buy music. We want to help people who sell music, and we want to help people who create the music. We want this to be a win-win for everybody. So until next time, until tomorrow, we will see you soon.